this day in 1948, Olivia Newton-John was born. She would have been 75 years old today. And that is a birthday I thought worth remembering. Everyone has an Olivia Newton-John moment growing up with her in Greece, the highest grossing musical film at the time, through to physical, let me hear your body talk, uh, to the highly average Xanadu, but with some amazing <laughs> top tunes. Rachel, some of the New Yorker, suggests that her most lasting legacy might be as the rare celebrity who was almost universally liked and thought of as an essentially kind and warm-hearted person. Yeah, quite a, quite a star, Olivia Newton-John. I was wondering, actually, Ali, had you ever interviewed her or come across Olivia Newton-John at all? Out of interest, are you there? Sorry, I sorry, I was muted. Um, I never did, and I would have absolutely loved to. I queued for from memory eight hours to see Greece when yeah, I was really, 13. yeah. Uh, and it's you know, I mean, it's kind of inappropriate when you watch it back these days. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it was huge, and she was huge, and we even suffered through Xanadu because we loved her so much. I know. It's, there was a mega take about what great sounds. I even saw Tomorrow oh, did on, you? on video. Yeah. Gosh, you're the fa- you, you are a fan. I'm a um, fan. I, I'm just, it's, it's actually a reminder of what you've just said there, queuing for eight hours of Greece. Um, it's a reminder of just how big that film and that soundtrack was, Ellie, huh? Oh, m- absolutely massive. And it is a, a classic a classic of the of the musical genre. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. 75 years old today, Olivia Newton. John, thank you for your feedback. John says, Wallace, I am a high school teacher at a private school and I am told that I am to wear a tie. <laughs> it is archaic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, a, pri- a private high school teacher, not into it. Sorry about that, John. Um, uh, hope the job's good though uh, take the rangatahi out of uniforms says one what's the point in making everybody the same uniforms are much more expensive than ordinary clothes a school sweatshirt 85 bucks a sweatshirt from Kmart 20 get real now to this apprenticeship numbers at a record high apprenticeship schemes booming but the trade sector facing a retiring workforce. With thousands of Kiwi tradies aged over 65, there are fears the ageing workforce will exacerbate the skill shortage. I've already had a text just now from a tradie, Andrew, tuning in about this, saying, OMG, in the next 10 years, so many tradesmen will be retiring or going part-time. With us, Master Plumbers, Gas Fitters and Drain Layers NZ Chief Executive, Greg Wallace. Thanks for coming on, Greg. Oh, good afternoon, Wallace. Thanks for having me on board. A pleasure. Does this square with what you are seeing? Look, we've got an industry, uh, in plumbing in particular, where 25% of our licence holders are 65 plus. Um, so we've got a, a real issue coming in the next decade. Um, you're, you're right, apprentice numbers on the basis of the government's apprentice boosts have grown. But we've also got cyclone relief, which will be a bit like Christchurch and Hawke's Bay and Gisborne, which will take 10 years recovery. And it's estimated that we're going to need another couple of hundred plumbers just in that region alone, which is 
about 30 to 40% growth we're going to need just for the recovery. Gosh, yeah, and anecdotally, trying to get a tradie, uh, be it your gas fitter or plumber uh, or a drain layer, you know, you, you've got to um, wait some time. So this apprenticeship boost scheme uh, put in place, Greg, has that had an effect? Look, it's helped, but it, mm. it, it's... Only been short term, um, and we're getting some promises through the elections about whether that will continue, depending on the government. But it did go from fourteen thousand dollars for employees down to seven thousand dollars, and we've seen the numbers of apprentices drop back because of that. We've also we're just not we've got a situation where we've got increased workforce requirements, but also with the um, demand now for tradespeople in the competitive worldwide environment. We're getting a lot of our completed apprentices going on their OE, and we're also seeing the Australian market being very attractive to them. Oh, I see. Bit of a yeah. theme, Greg, because we're going to be talking about that in the next uh, in the next piece. All right, Ali Moore. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I've got a sparky and a plumber um, who live in the same house just up the road. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> And you should always, you know, always hire local. Um, I, I have a question for Greg, actually. So under this um, apprenticeship scheme, I think I've seen you quoted saying uh, those employer payments um, should be based on apprenticeship performance. That's what you're advocating for. How does that work? Well, at the moment, Ellie, and it's a really good question, um, all you need to do is sign up to an apprentice and then you will get, currently, the scheme is $500 a month. What we want the scheme to be is around outcomes. And so to progress through a normal plumbing, drain, laying, gas, and uh, apprenticeship, it's five years. They have to go through 18 weeks of block course. What we think it should be around is making sure that the employer is facilitating that training in a timely manner, and they're completing their modules. At the moment, it's just given without any substance behind it in delivering outcomes. Hmm. I suppose what I'd be worried about is that um, young people who are doing their best and trying to keep up on a building site, uh, if they're not living up to the employer's standards, um, will be you know kicked out when perhaps with a bit more support they could succeed. Yes, yeah, so Ellie, most of these block courses, particularly in our sector, are done uh, through the Polytechnic Network and they're assessed independently. So it is outside what I call the employer-apprentice relationship and it's a robust model. I mean, we've seen really good developments in the Workplace Development Council under Wairanga RO and they are overseeing that training regime and there's much more robustness around independent verifiers uh, going on site and then all, of course the polytechnic experience. So the training regime that I'm talking about is external to the employer-apprentice relationship. Okay, Jack. Okay, mm. Greg, out of curiosity, numbers aside, is this simply a missing generation of sort of middle-aged tradies that aren't passing the knowledge down? Are, are they... Is it just an empty you know, demographic there? Well, the number one issue in the regime is we don't have enough uh, construction sector businesses taking on apprentices. Right. And so over the whole construction sector, um, that's uh, Sparkies, builders, plumbers, etc., only about 10 to 12% of businesses take on apprentices. 
And that's why the boost scheme was put in place. Mm. But until we change that demographic up to about 30%, we're always going to have a problem. The other issue is we're, we're boom and bust. We, we take mm. on apprentices uh, in, the, in, the bus, in the boom cycles, yeah. and then we don't want to employ them uh, we, we should, it's more important to uh, train them when there's a slight downturn so mm. we can have them ready and qualified when, when the cycle picks up again. Just a question from me, actually, uh, Greg, uh, actually um, quoting the, this tradesperson who texted in, saying, look, um, the other issue is the number of successful businesses there will be closing down, taking the staff with it. This is due to perhaps having... Uh, no having the desire or the skill to own and run a SME business. I mean, do you want to make a comment on that? Look, I think succession planning, uh, particularly in our aging demographic, is a major hurdle. Um, we've we've got people moving and being poached, and then particularly in rural New Zealand or smaller uh, communities across New Zealand, rather than uh, that business has been taken over by a exciting young tradesperson, the business is just closing and that's putting real pressure um, across the sector Nice to have you on the programme Greg, kia ora, that's uh, Greg Wallace there Master Plumbers, Gas Fitters and Drain Layers NZ Chief Executive The panel, uh, NZ National thanks for being with us, by the way if you can't catch it live, we are on Spotify iHeart, Apple or on the RNZ app Now I had a question from a listener, and he wanted to put this to the panel. He's in the police force, and some of his colleagues were moving to Australia to join the Victoria Police. And he asked, what actually is the reason Australia's wages are so much higher? What is the actual history behind it? Move across the ditch, and you'll be paid about 25% more for the same set of skills. So I thought, mm, let's answer that with um, independent economist Tony Alexander. Welcome to the show, Tony. Thanks for having us on again, Wallace. So let me ask you then, why do Australians have a higher wage than Kiwis? 25% what? more for the same set of skills. Yeah, well, they are more productive, not in terms of somehow you become more clever if you shift across to Australia, but in pure economics terms, it's as if each person over there has a higher stack of machinery and software systems, etc., that they are working alongside than in New Zealand, where the stack is smaller. It comes down to reduced business investment in the capital stock in New Zealand as compared with across in Australia. So what in, in everyday terms, capital investment in businesses, does that mean businesses investing in their business? Well, yes, investing in their own business in terms of the sophistication of the machinery, the size oh. of the machinery that they're having as, as well. In New Zealand, businesses have tended to grow by hiring more people, which sounds great because we want people to be employed. But the alternative to hiring more people is just holding back there for a while and getting some labour-saving technology. So then all of a sudden, if you, you, know, you start with 10 staff and now you can boost your output by 50% of those people with another million-dollar piece of machinery, or you can get the same increase in output with another you know, five people. But the productivity, of course, outcome is going to be um, um, quite different. And one would have to say with the migration boom we've got underway at the moment, your net gain of 96000 in the past year, we are still stuck in that model where businesses are looking to grow, 
by hiring more people. Okay, so talking about just why the underlying reasons why Aussie's wages are a lot higher than here. Ellie? Yeah, I remember um, hearing uh, economist uh, Ganesh Nana explain this a few years ago. Um, and, and his view was we're a low-wage economy here in New Zealand because we have a business model that views wages as a cost rather than an investment in labour, small little labour. Um, I wonder if we're looking to stem a flow of earners to Australia instead of moaning about the multimillionaire property developers who keep threatening to leave New Zealand, perhaps we should be putting more effort into changing that model. Most most definitely. That's spot on. Businesses have to change the way they look at labour and look at how they can get most out of these people. You look at a person and go, OK, this is a pretty clever person here. Let's give them the latest piece of software that's just been developed in Germany and then they can double or triple their output. Look at growing that way. So this really does come down to a change in the business sector uh, mindset as the major component. But we do also have to note that the incentive for many businesses to boost productivity is limited because uh, there's only maybe two or three of them in a sector. The old problem of duopolies or oligopolies, limiting competition, I see. limiting the incentive to invest. That is also a problem because we're so small, 5.2 million uh, people. Infrastructure costs are high per person as well. But it wasn't you know, always this way, Tony. There was a, We were once on a par, were we not, many years ago. Yes, yes. Many years ago when we were basically making uh, food products, the rest of the world was eager to get, or at least the United Kingdom, um, wanted all of our, our products. And then we really went down that ladder of sort of productivity, income per capita in the 1970s when our economy was prevented from adapting to the changing world, higher oil prices, with policies of protection, etc. Think big, all of those sort of things. So when you look at the graph of our income per capita versus the rest of the world, that's when the slaughter happened, the 70s into the early 80s. Yeah, I do wonder too, Tony, do Aussies simply think more about exporting? Because, for example, with My Mahi, a magazine title I created, I recently discovered it's the only title from Aotearoa that's licensed abroad. A lot of software I developed over years was licensed abroad. Is this something that's just not on our radar as Kiwis, that Aussies, you know, Aussies talk about exports all the time? I don't think we do. Is that a factor in this, Tony? Well, I, I think we are attuned to exports because we're always looking for, you know, better trade agreements with other countries, predominantly, of course, for the commodities. I think a problem for New Zealand is that it, you don't get very big before, if you're looking to expand, you might have to look at exporting, mm-hmm. and then you're running all to the, into the problems of managing exchange rate risk, different markets, different culture, uh, tax regimes and everything. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies haven't built up that knowledge of the whole thing soon enough. Um, to, to go into the export markets. Also, there is another problem, of course, that the world is keep, keeps a very uh, close eye on everybody all around the show. And as soon as somebody in New Zealand probably comes up with a decent idea and the business is growing strongly, someone from overseas is probably going to offer them some good money to take that high productivity growth business mm. over to Australia mm. or, the, or the United States. So that's also a part of the issue. There's yeah. also the reason for that wage differential. Um, the, uh, some have been commenting, the Employment Contract Act of the 90s. So New Zealand employers could gain productivity through wage suppression, whereas Aussie employers, they had to invest in employees and plant and equipment, and that's where they gained their productivity. 
I think there's some validity in that because uh, if you take a focus of, let's say, the Employment Relations Contracts Act, you know, whatever is in place there, um, and focus on minimising your wage costs, that is the wrong mindset. It's like Ali, what Ali was saying there. You've got to turn it around so the businesses are focusing on boosting productivity of the existing labour force. And that's why I'm on record as saying many times in earlier years when the labour market in New Zealand is tightening up as it has been since you know 2005, frankly, it would be a good thing for New Zealand if the pace of wages growth was to double, if not triple, and businesses would be forced to look at boosting their productivity, mm. but also there's the second thing. Yeah, could, inefficient ones would need to close down. I could talk to you for half an hour, Tony. It's so fascinating. But for now, um, uh, we'll leave it there. That's economist Tony Alexander. Hey, just on that, Jack, interesting you say you're the only um, uh, magazine that licensed abroad in New Zealand because I always thought... I always thought that the magazine that you published yeah. was an international magazine. Yeah, it was always And I to, was shocked yeah. to see, my gosh, this is a magazine out of Wellington. It is. And, you know, there are other excellent magazines here in this country yeah. and other IP that can be licensed internationally. I always wondered why. You know, I was, I was just so shocked. I went onto search engines like Mojik and even Google to look for others, other colleagues, and I, I simply couldn't find them. I hope I'm wrong. Um, well, that's because amazing. there are a lot of excellent magazines from this country. Yep. Very good. Eight away from five. The panel are in Z National. Thanks for your company. Thank you very much for your feedback. Uh, such uh, a lot of feedback regarding the whether or not the tie and the blazer is outdated in schools. Thanks for that. But to this, excited about talking to this. What a good initiative. Coast to Coast Cat Rescue has launched a new program in the far north to pair unwanted cats with senior residents. It's called Companion Cats, and it offers the pets a long-term foster basis to those seniors who may not usually be able to afford the upkeep but could keep but could use a companion. Local business sponsorship has enabled Coast to Coast Cat Rescue to cover the costs from food, medical care, to kitty litter. They say it's a win-win situation for the cats and the people. Sam Stewart is the chairwoman of Coast to Coast Cat Rescue. Kia ora, Sam. Hi. What a fascinating um, program this is. Do you have trouble finding people to adopt older cats in general? Um, kittens are always the more popular option. Um, adult cats do tend to sit around for a little bit longer, which is funny, really, as with an adult cat, you know exactly what you're going to get personality-wise. Kittens haven't really fully developed their personality, so you might adopt a kitten that you might not necessarily mm. choose personality-wise as it grows older. Cats are also a little, lot less hectic and, you know, litter-trained and less likely to scale your curtains as well. It speaks to that wider issue that loneliness is an awful thing and what a wonderful companion a pet or an animal can be, Sam. Yep, definitely. Um, owning a cat can bring unconditional love and companionship to an older person's life. Um, often older people can be a little bit more isolated or disconnected from those around them, which can lead to loneliness. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just something really good. There's been lots of um, studies recently about how important it is for mental well-being and um, also um, the health benefits of owning a cat. A lot of studies have recently focused on um, that there are benefits for the cardiovascular health, cancer and dementia. Um, having a cat can also help improve general fitness 
these simple acts like grooming, playing, changing litter boxes can provide a bit of a workout for elderly people. And gentle, regular exercise is important in arthritis that can help keep arthritic joints in the hand moving as well. Ellie. I love this so much. Congratulations, Sam, for thinking outside the litter box. Um, This is such a great initiative. Um, We're we're always hearing that loneliness among the elderly is a, you know, a problem that that is increasing rapidly in our society. And and this is such a simple fix um, for those elderly people who are allowed to have uh, pets in their homes. I'll just make that point because, of course, in some rental situations, you're not allowed. Yeah. Um, but and and in a lot of cases, the the major or the only barrier would be the cost, right? Yeah, I mean, we speak to a lot of people throughout our work. We um, go to the pack house market in Kerry Kerry every Saturday, and we speak to a lot of elderly people there who say, "Look, we'd we'd really love a cat, but we just can't quite meet the costs on our super." So that's sort of sort of where the idea came from. I connected the dots, oh, yeah. and I've got a lovely lovely older cat in our care who's 11 years old and I was thinking gosh wouldn't it be great if she could you know she'd really suit an older person so we just need to find the a right home for her and that's sort of where the idea oh, came from really amazing Sam yeah Jack yeah well Sam you're up in the Bay of Islands what will it take to get get you down here and get it get this program nationwide because it's brilliant well, I was thinking that. I mean, at the moment, we're still sort of trying to get it up and running. We're definitely in need of more sponsorship. So at this stage, we are sort of sticking to this upper North Island. Um, obviously, we have the vets up here and dropping off supplies and things. Um, but it would, you know, one day, maybe it would be good to, to spread it nationwide. Or maybe even other rescues take this idea on a, as well and do it within each of their regions. I mean, let's face it, the cat problem is huge across the whole of New Zealand. So... The more cats we can all find homes for, the more cats we can then bring in and, and help, the ones that are sort of stray and abandoned. So, it, yeah, like I said, it's a win-win for everybody, really. Sam, what sort of response are you getting from uh, from people who uh, adopt a cat? Um, we haven't... We've only just really got the programme started. So we, we've yeah. adopted lots of cats before to older people, um, but we haven't actually got any in foster at the moment. The other thing that we're struggling with is um, we've got a lot of positive um, feedback, but we haven't actually got any sponsors as of yet. So, you know, we're asking for individuals and businesses across the country to sponsor the programme. Um, and also we'd love any pet food companies to come on board to help us with the cost of food and litter as well because the more sponsors we have, the more cats and seniors we can team up. And then again, like I said, the more room we'll have in the shelter to help others. Well, I guess I'm allowed to say this, but uh, if you want to help out in any way, maybe you can contact the panel at rnz.co.nz and we can uh, send your contact deals, uh, uh, deets out there, Sam. Perfect. Very good. Nice to have you on the program. Coast to Coast Cat Rescue. Uh, to your point, Ellie, isn't it wonderful the sort of ideas that people just come up with? Oh, I just think it's fantastic, particularly when it when it involves animals. Yeah. Um, people underestimate the difference that owning and you know having an animal as part of the family couldn't agree and, more and the the older i get the more i like animals more than i like people so <laughs> 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 perfect for the 
on other that, animals love them too. <laughs> on that note, happy Wednesday, everybody. <laughs> Ali Moore, Jack Gann, thanks for listening. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow, 3.45. When those horns hit, you'll be there. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next. <laughs>